One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to a bonus episode of New Scientist Weekly. I'm your host, Rowan Hooper, and this is the full interview from last week's show, featuring Lucy Jones and Geisha Hoovner. And it's really important for many reasons to talk about mental health. So we hope you enjoy this extended chat. So it was World Mental Health Day on Monday, and I wanted to use that as a peg to talk about the effect of the climate crisis and the crisis in nature on mental health. For me, it's definitely something I feel a lot of anxiety around, and I know other people do, a lot of other people do. So to discuss this, I'm really happy today to be joined by the writer Lucy Jones, who's the author of a wonderful best-selling book called Losing Eden, Why Our Minds Need the Wild, and Geisha Hoopner of University College London's Energy Institute. And Geisha also works on the links between climate change and mental health. So welcome both. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Now, look, for anyone listening who might quite reasonably think that regular physical health problems are really what we should be thinking about when it comes to climate change, you know, because we've got disease and heat waves and all stuff like that. Can we start with that, Geisha? You know, what are the links between climate change and mental health and what aspects of mental health are we talking about? Thanks for this. So there are quite quite a number of ways how climate change is impacting mental health and we only slowly start to understand those better. So we have quite good evidence that heat waves and hot temperatures impact negatively on mental health. So we see an increase in suicide rates. We see an increase in hospital admission psychiatric units. We also see greater violence, which in turn impacts on mental health. We know that Flooding or huge storms impact our mental health, for example, by causing post-traumatic stress disorder. But really anything in any way that climate change can impact on our economic situation, for example, us losing our job, our livelihood being destroyed, can again in turn impact on our mental health. So it's a lot about those kind of consequences of climate change that impact negatively on mental health. But we can also take a step further and look at the drivers of climate change. So, for example, the burning of fossil fuels leads to air pollution. And there's quite some evidence now that also air pollution impacts negatively on mental health. So there's a number of pathways, really, how climate change impacts mental health. It's just that until really recently, maybe two, three, four years ago, we haven't really thought much about those. And it's only really this year that the discussion is kicking off around how climate change impacts on our mental health. And Lucy, you've written a lot about this as well, haven't you? Um, what's your feelings about how how we need nature and how ecological grief affects our lives? Well, our disconnection from the natural world, our estrangement from it in terms of the time we spend outside, which is between 1% and 5% for people living in industrialised nations, it's unprecedented. We've never been at this point of disconnection. And I think 
within that, we are overlooking and forgetting how much we need the natural world for our health and happiness. And I, when I started researching this area for my book, I was a bit sceptical. I would kind of think, well, being outside is nice, you know, being in the park on the weekend is, is good, going to the seaside for a, your holiday is, is kind of relaxing. Hmm. But is there actually any kind of robust evidence that suggests that a restorative natural environment actually really affects our our physical health, our mental health. And and actually, I, I was really blown away by the quality of the evidence and, and, and how varied it was and how scientists in disciplines across the world and every continent of the world, really in the last kind of 10, 20 years, are trying to drill down into this relationship between the human body, the human mind and restorative natural environments and finding out really, I think, exciting, compelling and worrying, worrying things really that suggest that our alienation, our eco-alienation is actually really dangerous for our for our health, for public health and individual health. Yeah, um, it's funny, isn't it, that you say, you know, there, there has been a lot of research on this, but it's still only just really being talked about, isn't it? And even the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, they only mentioned mental health this year, wasn't it, Geisha? Yes, so they had in their report this year for the first time. And also the WHO, so the World Health Organization, they this yeah. year for the first time brought out this policy brief around climate change and mental health. And it's, I mean, it's a bit of a good question why it took us so long to get there, because I think kind of intuitively might have known for much longer that climate change impacts on mental health. And we know it's, it's, it's a huge threat. It kind of destroys the way we live, um, potentially the way we work. So I wonder why it has taken so long to get to the agenda. And I think part of that is because in general, we tend to focus more on physical health. So even if you look at like how general research is distributed between physical and mental health, there's much more focus on physical health, even though, though I think we're committed to parity between mental and physical health. I don't think in reality we actually do that. So mental health is always it's still more stigmatized. It's something we talk less about. It's something that is just not as much in the focus. I'm very aware when we're talking about this of being in a nice house in London and you know we have the privilege of being able to do something about it you know like we can go on holiday we can go out and we can sort of relax in nature and we're not really at the moment really exposed to real harsh realities of climate change but if you think about someone in Pakistan recently or in Bangladesh or you know on a Pacific island with the the sea literally lapping up into their houses you know it's worse there isn't it what how how do we address that sort of problem i mean what's it like in those countries i mean i think that's a huge question in a way i think you know i don't want to answer on behalf of other countries because obviously that's that's not my lived reality and i don't want to be mm. um, condescending here and say well this is what we should do but i do think that generally we need to strengthen healthcare infrastructure in all countries and also ensure that we build a mental health capacity in those healthcare systems. And we know that there are many countries around the world that still have inadequate health systems where people don't have access to healthcare. And I think what then happens if you have an emergency such as huge flooding, it's very hard to then, for example, react to any of the mental health consequences if something you don't have any kind of infrastructure for, or right. even the infrastructure that you have might end up getting destroyed. And I also think if maybe we built a better healthcare systems that have a focus on mental health, we might also be able to increase the general resilience of the population and hopefully better prepared to deal with any disasters. Yeah, I think 
the, the work and the research on spending time in, in natural environments and stress could maybe be quite useful in this context. And I, I don't mean countries kind of at the very forefront of, of the climate crisis, because I, I can't speak for that. But yeah. I'm thinking really about kind of children and, and adolescents and, and kind of growing eco-anxiety. One of the aspects about nature and health that the evidence seems to suggest is that we recover quickly and more completely from stress in restorative natural environments. So it seems that our parasympathetic nervous systems might be more likely to be activated in natural spaces. And at a time of stress-related illnesses increasing and the stress of the, the impending climate crisis, it seems to me that restorative natural environments and urban areas where people can go to recover from the wear and tear of life, and that might mean, you know, more equitable tree cover and the kind of shade and, and even the protection from heavy rain that trees might bring and, and allow people to be outside, but also the uh, need to give children and young people opportunities to have a connection and a relationship with the outside world and the natural world because you know, they're inheriting a really unstable world and a way of building resilience, I think, and finding strength and good health and happiness is by having this uh, exposure to to our natural environment that we evolved in over 99% of our evolutionary history. Saying that, I will say, and I always try and say this when I talk about um, my research in the book, the nature and mental health discourse, I can think, can fall slightly into this idea of saying to people, you know, go into the woods and you'll feel better, or you know, yeah. go into the woods and ditch your pills. Um, and clearly, it's much more complicated than that. And there are a constellation of factors that affect people's mental health. And obviously, you know, poverty is a big one and, and structural issues. But saying that, I think we see connection with nature as something that is a, a luxury or a privilege or a commodity. We know that more affluent areas have more high quality green space. Children from deprived areas are less likely to have access to wilder areas. And what the evidence is showing and proving unequivocally is that it's not a luxury. It's actually, it should be a right to have that exposure to, to restorative environments, environments right. where we'll recover from stress more quickly. All right. So we, we've touched on kind of solutions there. I mean, obviously, the big solution is that we stop, <laughs> that we reverse the climate crisis and that we, and the crisis in nature, the biodiversity crisis as well. But, you know, in the meantime, you know, what other things can we, we do to address, to manage our mental health in this, in this time? I mean, thanks for pointing out that the first thing we have to do is kind of stopping climate change in a way. If we don't do that, then, you know, <laughs> yeah, we'll everything else that, is a bit, <laughs> a bit futile. But um, I think a lot is a lot that we can focus on is around the co-benefits of climate change mit mitigation. And I just thought it was really nice, Lucio, how you brought up this example of kind of if we have more tree cover in cities, if we kind of reduce the amount of concrete and we have more trees and more green areas. Because, of course, in a way that's, that's really good for us, like you said, it's good for our mental health that we have this exposure to outdoor spaces, to nature. But it also helps to mitigate climate change. So if you, for example, turn roads into parks, into pedestrian walkways, into cycle lanes, we will also reduce the traffic, we will reduce air pollution, we will reduce carbon emissions if we have more active travel. We will also help people to be healthier because we know that exercising is healthy. So I think a lot when we think about climate change and climate change mitigation, it would help us to create a bit of a better world 
in which humans can hopefully thrive and develop better. And to me, that's one of these huge points around, I think, if we can mitigate climate change, we will improve people's lives. What's been kind of most surprising and inspiring and kind of um, hopeful about researching in, in this area of nature and mental health is what we now know about kind of what happens to our bodies and our, our brains and our minds when we're in natural environments. We all have this sense that, you know, you, you might feel good in the woods or in the park or so on. But actually, some of the work is, is, is so fascinating and illuminating, showing, for example, that we recover from stress in a different way, that fractal shapes, which are found across across the board in, in nature. And I always love mentioning fractal shapes because they're always in urban areas. You know, they're pavement plants, they're, they're wallflowers. If you go out right now, even if, like me, you live in a very urban area, you will see a fractal shape. And evidence from a guy from Richard Taylor suggests that, you know, when we look at fractal shapes, areas of our brain associated with calmness and relaxation are, are stimulated, activated. Also, the science of awe. So we're now learning that when we feel awe, it can actually have a measurable effect on our body. And many of our experiences of awe are still in the natural world. What about um, the smell of the earth after it's rained? Like that beautiful mm. word, petrichor. That's a compound geosmin. And a to be fair, small study found that when people inhaled geosmin, it activated areas of the brain also associated with well-being. There are lots of examples of that, which I think could be useful in terms of a kind of education and thinking about the natural world and kind of recognizing how porous the human body is and how how connected we are. And the, the last thing I'll mention, which I think is kind of interesting and exciting is microbacteria and and the old friends hypothesis and there's a lot of interesting work by a guy called Chris Lowry and, and Graham Rook about a particular microbacteria called Mvaki which is found in the soil and is found to have antidepressant like effects um, mm. being uh, looked at as a possible treatment for PTSD and so on you know, which suggests that we should be spending more time uh, getting our hands in the mud and and kids should be allowed to play more outside and the climate crisis is here and we are going to need ways of restoring ourselves, of, of beating stress, of, of looking after our mental health. And as you say, the climate and nature crisis are completely entwined. If the younger generation aren't given the opportunities to love the natural world and to have a kind of relationship, then they're not going to care or they're not going to kind of have that impetus to, to look after the rest of nature. So I think it, you know, it's a generative relationship. Another thing I, I was thinking about is activism. You hear a lot of people say that they find some sort of restorative power in, in getting out and doing something, you know, and even if it's a small thing, it might be a small thing locally or it might be part of a, a bigger national protest or something. But activism can be a good thing to give yourself agency, even in a small way, and feel like you're doing something to, to tackle the crisis. Yeah, I think you, you nailed it, right? So there's something around being active, having agency, feeling that you have the power to change that w that protects our mental health. So I think it's you know quite well known. I think it's one thing maybe just to say that also I think there's a limit to that one. So again, sometimes can get to the point that even though you're so engaged, it gets to the point of being very exhausting for you as a person mm. who tries to make a change. That's a really good point. I mean, I can only kind of speak from my own experience but I think that like the two antidotes for my own personal 
ecological grief or climate anxiety has been you know going to the woods spending time in the natural world but also um yeah joining with local people in, in activism and particularly i live in a really urban area and we've got a kind of small tiny field out back and it was always a moan mown grass kind of amenity lawn and me and my neighbors have been trying to rewild it and that's been a really hopeful beautiful experience of joining with community kind of talking to to neighbors seeing the the meadow grow the trees grow seeing the the may bugs in the summer and the swifts feeding up above just knowing that in that kind of tiny patch near us we can make a difference that's great So now that IPCC has acknowledged the impact on mental health, does that mean we need to build in costing it out and dealing with it? Yes, I think we absolutely do need to do this. So I think if you think about physical health, one of the reasons why it has gained so much traction in the climate change discussion is because we have spoken about the costs of physical health impairments due to climate change and then the economic consequences of this one. And I know it sounds a bit cynical, but I think we have to do the same with mental health just to make it make sure it moves to the top of the agenda. Once we know how much poor mental health because of climate change will cost us, I think this will be a yet another driver for much faster and more stringent climate change legislation. At least I hope so. Like I said, I always feel a bit awkward saying this because in a way, human mental health and well-being are just a human right. I mean, they're part of the Sustainable Development Goals. Everybody should be in the position of having you know, positive mental health and be in a state of well-being. But I think... In order to sell this point, we might have to have just some hard numbers that show, look, it's going to cost you this much if we don't protect mental health. Yeah, you cynic. <laughs> I don't think I don't think you need to worry about being called a cynic for trying to care about mental health. Um, but that's a brilliant point. Thank you. That was author Lucy Jones and Geisha Hubner of University College London. Thanks to both of them for joining me. And I hope you enjoyed this extended interview episode. Do subscribe free to our show and say hello on Twitter at New Scientist Pod. And I'm on at Rohu. I should also say that if you need someone to talk to about mental health issues, there is help available. And we'll put a link to some resources in the show notes. Thanks for listening and see you soon. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. Thank you.